The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark. As Jesus taught, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses for the sake of appearance, say long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large coins, large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which are worth a penny. Then he called his disciples and said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of the one who invites us into full participation in the kingdom. Amen. Jesus said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the house. They devour widows' houses and for the sake of appearance say long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Oh, boy. As I stand in this box in my long robes, just a few feet from my nice chair, I feel not like a preacher in a pulpit, but like a defendant sitting in the witness box, braced to defend myself against Jesus' condemnation. And this isn't just because I read a murder trial novel while procrastinating preaching on this particular gospel. It is also because in this gospel, Mark has the gall to quote Jesus condemning Episcopalian clergy. Well, okay, he was condemning the scribes, but close enough. As Jesus condemns the scribes of his time, he is, I believe, raising a red flag around anyone who benefits from a place of honor in the organizations of humankind. Is it fair to say that we are mostly of the scribal class here? In today's global context, if we live in a country where we are able to elect our own leaders, we may be the scribes. If we live in comfortable homes and drive cars, we are the scribes. If we are treated with respect in our towns, schools, and workplaces, we are the scribes. If law enforcement makes us feel safe, we might be scribes. If we have ever paid anyone to clean our house, serve us a meal, or take care of our children for us, we are the scribes. In Jesus' time, it was the scribes who went about their comfortable lives making rules that were meant to lead people into holiness 
rules that were often made from the oblivious place of privilege. One of those rules was that all the people of God were to give financially to the temple treasury. And so, a widow who had almost nothing put all that she had to live on in the treasury. And for two millennia, she has been held up as a Christian example of generosity and faithful stewardship. Because she gave her very small everything, while the wealthy gave large amounts of their excess wealth. That widow has been haunting me this week. I don't know if she was so generous that she was willing to give everything that she had away, or if she was a victim of an oppressive system, a system that asked too much and left her destitute for the sake of one more penny for the temple, a system that Jesus spent a lot of time and energy condemning. And let us not think that unjust temple tax represented true Judaism any more than any of the human sins within religious institutions. All of our religious institutions, including ours, accurately represent God's hopes for us. Injustice comes from humanity, not from God. Now back to that widow. We will never know what was on her heart that day. We can't really know if she was a victim or a saint or both. But I think we can learn a lot from her anyway. I think we can learn a lot from what Jesus said about her. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all of those contributing to the treasury. She, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. It feels to me like Jesus is doing something that he became known for, something that eventually he was crucified for. He was noticing the suffering that was a direct product of unjust systems. And he was naming it, pointing it out, and inviting us to notice along with him. Jesus knew, just as we do, that we cannot heal a wound without first noticing it. Jesus knew, as we do, that there was and is a great wound in the fabric of creation, and it has a lot to do with some giving too much of their life away, while others remain obliviously comfortable. So where do we fall in that equation? And how do we join up with Jesus as wound healers? rather than perpetuators of injustice. This week, I think I caught a glimpse of an answer. At noon last Sunday, Bishop Michael Curry was consecrated as our new presiding bishop. And in his sermon, he said that the consecration was not about him. It was about gathering together as the body of Christ. It was about the Jesus movement. That phrase, the Jesus movement, caught my attention because it speaks to me of action. It speaks to me of what we are called to do outside the walls of our worship spaces. It says to me that we are fueled in here in order that we may have the strength and wisdom and courage to follow Jesus' example out there. Now, Bishop Curry 
preached about the Jesus movement at noon on All Saints Day. That same day at 12.01 p.m., Caroline Lewis of Luther Seminary posted her thoughts online about the widow who gave everything. She said that when Jesus observed and pointed out the truth of the widow's situation, he was doing something new. He was starting the Jesus movement. Now, Caroline Lewis and Bishop Curry may have had coffee together last week, and they may have discussed the Jesus movement, but I doubt it. Maybe the Jesus movement is simply on the move. On the move and inviting us to take part. And here is how I think we join up with the Jesus movement. First, we get fed and inspired by one another in community. That happens for me here, whether or not I'm wearing a long flowing robe. If you are not also being fed spiritually here at Trinity, I urge you to come and talk to me or Tony or someone else who can help you tap into the spiritual food and inspiration that is indeed available here. If it is still not happening, find a spiritual home that does feed you. You cannot do the work that the Jesus movement requires of you if you are not in a community that fuels your spirit. We want you here. But more than that, we want you in a place where the Holy Spirit has clear access to your heart. So, first, we all need to be fed in community. Second, we go out into the world, and fortified by the love of God, we are strong enough to notice the wounds. This is hard work. This noticing, we will fail daily, but we will also succeed. We will see things that break our hearts. We will see things that make us feel helpless. We will also see things that make us want to do something. And so the third part of joining in the work of the Jesus movement is prayer and action. Those two things are so tied up together with one another. We pray God's love into the wounds that we have noticed, and we engage in actions that affect change and healing. I call these actions kingdom actions. Bit by bit, they bring about the kingdom of God's love here on earth, and they are actions that are completely within our abilities. So, first we are fed here and sent forth. Out there, we see the widow putting the last of her coins into the treasury. She is the single mom who pays too much income tax on her three jobs. She is the veteran who spent the prime of his life giving himself in service to his country and who now holds a cardboard sign asking for loose change to feed his family. The widow is the earth giving too many trees from her rainforests too much oil from her belly, and too much water from the last of her clean riverbeds. She is the black mother who just gave another teenage son to the streets of poverty. She is the Latino grandfather who farms for $5 an hour in order to feed three generations of empty bellies. 
The widows of this world are giving too much, and we will notice. We will name these wounds. Then we will stop and pray, and we will seek to act. What if, in all facets of our lives, personally, professionally, politically, Yes, politically. We act based on the Jesus movement. What if together we promise to strive toward the following completely achievable kingdom actions? We could vote for our next president with Jesus' sense of justice on our hearts, based on who we perceive to actually respect the dignity of every member of creation. This is kingdom action. We could give with wisdom and love to those who have less than us. This is kingdom action. We could stop using up this earth, replenish her resources, minimize our carbon footprints. This is kingdom action. We could speak up about the privilege we have due to our skin color or our economic or social standing or our citizen status and insist on universal access to human dignity until that has been achieved. Kingdom action. We will act in these ways not because of our secular political affiliations, but because of our affiliation with the Jesus movement. A movement that feeds us, calls us to notice the widows, the wounded, and the oppressed, and calls us to prayerful action, kingdom action. In the name of the one who came so that all are fed, All are seen and all are called. The one who sees us when we are overdrawn, names our pain and leads someone to pray for us and help us. The one who is and was and always will be the justice and the love that this world is so hungry for. The one who invites us, each of us, into the greatest movement of all time. Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. Amen.